0: are we good sound
1: i think we're good okay sounds good
0: all right welcome to episode 26 of creative moonlighting
1: yep 26
0: yeah we're really excited today to have um our neighbor and friend Jim from down the street.
1: Who we haven't Uh, seen in a really long time now.
0: Yeah, only if we pass by each other at the mailbox, right? right? That is
1: exactly right.
0: And actually, that's how the idea came to be for this episode was, what were we doing, Jim? I was walking Bodhi. And you and, and I had a
2: conversation.
0: And something came up and I said, Hey, do you want to be on the podcast? That was it. We were down at the uh, we were here. Yeah. We were right here. That's and it. and uh you started to tell me um small stories about your book, writing your book. Ah. And um, and so I want to save those for uh later in the episode. So um, anyways, we're so excited to have you today and thank it's you. Fun for, to be here. Yeah, thank you for making time to come talk with us and share your story.
1: Yeah, I, I think you know it's it's funny because Just within our neighbor, we're always looking for, you know, the whole idea of creative moonlighting being that you are doing things on nights and weekends. And it's funny how many people in our sort of close, literally physically close to us, live close to us, who have something creative going on, you know. Uh, And I knew you did from, from now years back when we first met. Uh, be, well, and actually, I think it was it was your dad's book that I that I read. It wasn't it wasn't your book at the time. And then right. I realized after that, after your um, it was it was a holiday uh, letter or something that came through. Right. And then I realized what a writer you were. Mm-hmm. So that's the intro. Really, I think, is that I know I, and we've talked many times. And I don't want to talk about it again, about you being an actor. Um, mm-hmm. and, but but uh and a singer and a singer. But also, well, and and that came, I think, through theatrical acting, right? The the singing was part and parcel. Yes, to that. you had to sing if you want. Yeah, if you want to make a living in New York, unless you were the
2: most phenomenal dramatic actor, you better be able to sing because there were more musicals than straight plays.
1: Yeah. Okay. And then, so then, flash forward, and then I found out you were a writer as well. Now we're gonna. Now we're hearing about these books that you've done, and and uh, and we obviously want to read them too. So that's. Um, that's kind of the best intro I can think of. Did you have anything else that you wanted think, to add before we let Jim introduce himself? <laughs> yeah, I
0: want to emphasize uh, it's pretty cool to live on our street. Gosh, we've been neighbors for over 10 years now. Wow. And um, to, to get to know, you know, everybody down the cul-de-sac and find out um, little bits and pieces of their life and stories um, that we just thought gosh, Jim has to be on the episode so that he could share his. So we'll stop talking for a bit, Jim, and let you kind of start sharing your story. And um, we'll get into talking about your book and writing and all
1: that. Well, yeah. And I know I had a few topics to talk about, but I also wanted to know what, what, um, what are you working on now? Like what's the most, what's the hottest thing on your mind? I'm working on a memoir. Okay. I mean, you know, it's even
2: it feels funny to me to say that because I feel like I should be more famous like Matthew <laughs> McConaughey has oh, this number one bestseller right, right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Yes, indeed. And um, it turns out that Matthew has kept diaries for 35 right. years. Right. Yes. And as yes. I write mine, I so wish that I had kept journals along the way, but yeah. I didn't. Uh, I, David Sedaris, another wonderful writer, mm-hmm. always has kept uh, journals mm-hmm. from, I think, from the time he was in his 20s. And when you read his books, they're so specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Specific in a way that really happens only when you keep a journal. Yeah. And certainly that's true in my family because noting
1: the small details of every little thing that happens.
2: Because you're right there and it's happening that day or yeah. the day before. And I learned that power of that through my dad's book. Yeah. And he, Flew B-17s in World War II. He was on a crew of 10 guys, and they ended up in, in in England in July of 1943, when the casualty rate on his base was around 80%. It's hard to even take that in. Where? 80. Where was his base? This was about, of uh, course, they don't use miles, but it was about maybe 15 miles outside of London. London.
0: Was it Lakenheath?
2: A, a, a chart, a Ridge Ridgewell was the Ridge- name of the base, which just doesn't, of course, exist anymore. Okay, he was okay. He could get from he could get to the last subway stop of the okay. of the English Tube, mm-hmm. and then they could either walk or take a bike from there to to, to Ridgewell. The,
0: so we, uh, so one of the um, jobs that I worked on, um, uh, we did all of the training for the Department of Defense schools, and so, gosh, I think it was maybe three or four summers ago. I went to the base. And so it was Feltwell and and Lakenheath, which is uh, Air Force. This was Army Air Force. There wasn't anything
2: but Army Air Force. Yeah. That was it.
0: So I was wondering if it was a thing.
2: Well, you see, down the coast of England, south, there were bases all the way down Mm -hmm. the
0: coast. Mm -hmm. So
2: there was one after the other. And Dad was there at a time when we were not winning yet. We weren't winning the air war. And that's why it was such a perilous time to be there. And uh, he told this story that the day that they arrived, the David, his crew arrived, and they'd been together for like maybe six months to a year training and getting ready to go to England. They get to the base and this old timer, which means he might've been there three months. Okay. Um, he looks at dad and he, he says, what size shoe do you wear? <laughs> and dad tells him, and the guy says, really? That's my size.
3: Great.
2: <laughs> He never said you're gonna die, but well, that was the oh, great is, implication. Gosh. Of course he was kind of razzing. <laughs> but you know, that's well, what they and, did. And
1: it but and to those guys, if you can't, it seems like if you couldn't um make a joke about it, then you really can't get through the day. That's
2: it. And I know? think I think that really helped Dad because um his commanding officer actually is the one who suggested that he keep a journal because he knew that dad could write for some reason. I don't know what he'd done to make him know that, but he he suggested it. And my dad started keeping a journal when they got got to England. And what was so great about that was that a, they had to do raids. You had to do 25 raids to make a, to be able to come home. Now, going mm. up-
1: This sounds like Catch-22, like kind of, Joseph Heller's book. You know, Very
2: much so, because so often, people would get up to 22, 23, and then get shot down.
1: Mm. But
2: a raid meant making contact with the enemy. If you went up and the weather was bad, And you had to turn back. That does not count. count. You have to make contact with the enemy. So it took July till January for for him to get his 25. But so many people did not make the 25. They died at some point along the way. But the good news for Dad was that he went along with his commanding officer's suggestion. And after each raid, he'd get the whole crew together the next day. Because in the plane, you only saw 180 degrees. And my father's, he was the gunner up above the pilot. So he saw the top part of the plane, 180 degrees, but he didn't see what was under. So he had to get the rest of the crew there together and find out what happened in all parts of the plane. And and just what people were thinking and what they were going through. And it made it, each raid was like a a one-act play. Wow. And Mm. some of them were, not just some of them, many of them were hair-raising. They'd come back with one engine going, running out of gas p- holes all over the place. Yeah. I mean it didn't even look like they'd make it many times. So the stories were just
1: Yeah, incredible. and you packed a lot of that into the this cuz I remember I did get it. I ended up getting the the uh on my phone, very Oh, you did. You got the <laughs> millennial of me. <laughs> but but I did get Yeah, I bought it on Amazon one night we oh, got Gray, the digital right? book. I got the digital book. And mm-hmm. I, but you know, uh, it's I'm looking at that book right there, and I can see it's worn, and it's you know, so it's got some mileage on it. That that that's so the, the kind name of, book, of it
0: is. Combat, Combat crew. crew, yeah.
1: But but that's the kind of book that it almost feels like you need to have on your shelf.
0: Oh um, yeah, you
1: know what I mean. Like it's okay to read books on your phone. I have no problem with that. But there's some books you want on your shelf, and it was definitely one of those.
2: Well, yeah you know, and this was one of those moonlighting books that you're talking about because Dad did the journal in '43, and kept the thousand pages for the next 30 years until he retired and then he did something in 1975 he always told us that he was going to we're not sure we believed him but sure enough after he retired he started working on it and he worked on it for i want to say four or five years and i edited i mean he would send me his drafts and I would go through and make comments and cut and suggest and go deeper here. And what did you mean? And all the things I didn't know what I was doing. I was just using common, common sense. And to by, you, that, yeah. by that time I'd done some writing. So I, I had a lot of questions and that's really what good editors do. Have a lot yeah. of questions and suggest uh-huh. going, tell me more here. I don't understand that. What did you mean? Da, 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 da. What were
1: you going for with this? Why, why did you right. add that? Or why go did... deeper? I would
2: often say, I remember What? how were you feeling? That was one of the things that I kept saying because that wasn't all. He'd always tell you been. the story,
1: but didn't tell you how he felt about it. Maybe not yeah. as much.
2: More and so, I think I must have done it over three, four, five years. I must have edited it seven or eight times, and my mother typed it. So it was a family, family thing. Family, That's. Cool. that's-
0: did you keep his original journals? Who has his I original have absolutely journals? Absolutely no
2: idea where it is. Oh, amazing. I, I'm so sorry. I don't know that. And what's so funny? He also here's the crazy part. My dad did the 25 missions. He came back to the States. They sent him to Mississippi with my mother. They, they were married and they mm-hmm. sent him to Mississippi to train pilots, Gulfport, Mississippi.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I was conceived there. And sometime in the summer, they may, I think they went there maybe in February. And by that summer, all of a sudden, one day he comes home to my pregnant mother and tells her he has signed up to go back to Europe. Oh no! He has not discussed it with her. And his here's what he said. He said it was more dangerous to train pilots than to be in combat. <laughs> we did not buy. We never have bought that. We think he missed the action. Oh, and that's okay. what we
1: think he missed. Well, you've heard stories of people like that, you know, and it, and it's I'm sure it's believable too. If you can imagine, like just imagining seeing things that are going to be unrelatable to the bulk of the people that you talk to when you go home and then there's only probably one or two people that you can even relate to so why not go back to the place where you can relate to everybody you know and it's that you could see that part i remember my my granddad was in world war ii and also and uh, my dad said that that uh, every so often he would catch him and my great uncle, who was also who'd also they fought in Japan together, and they spent a lot of time, uh, you know, all throughout uh, the Pacific. But he would catch them in the in the garden, you know, drinking beer and speaking in Japanese to one another. Really? And that they, they spoke would, Japanese. They spoke Japanese. Oh my yeah. goodness! But I guess they were there for a significant they amount must, of time. That is really rare. Yeah, and uh, and so and he said they, he would just walk out and hear them, and who knows how how well to to a young kid from Texas who knows how well they spoke Japanese but, but they, they were, were su- they, they were, were doing talking something. they were communicating yeah
2: but well, pup was so funny mother and i never could get my father to admit that he never he stuck with that line it just have, yeah they, he well, stuck with it
1: there's a there I've noticed that about my granddad is once they told the story that was the way it was period I don't care how many times you ask, that's the answer you're gonna get and he you know he ended up getting a silver star silver star oh my goodness wow but he always said it was for cooking a meal for a five-star general and that's why or he got might this. have been yeah well and <laughs> you we never asked, know we went to the world War II museum in in New or in uh, New Orleans Mm-hmm. and I told them that and they said no that's no, it, impossible you don't get that for, you yeah. don't get that for crypto. yeah now. and we so I, they, I ended up ordering his you know my, my mom did she ordered the next of kin I guess so that you can get all of their records and it turns out the the base or wherever they'd been housed had burned so we oh, those records no. yeah those records were totally lost so we're, I, we're never gonna know unless oh. there's somebody in the family that does And those those are getting fewer and fewer and fewer. But I mean, that's why it's so cool that that your dad went ahead and wrote it. Well, yeah. So what happened was he went to
2: Italy and did 50 more missions. So he Mm. ended up with 75 missions. But he didn't feel that the time in Italy was anything special. Because by then we were winning. Mm -hmm. We had the long range bombers. It was... uh, well, it was the middle of nineteen forty-four. We were winning. Yeah, and although it was still dangerous, just a matter of
1: time. But it was a we... matter of
2: time. So he didn't, and also I think it was a much more hell-raising group over there. And he didn't. <laughs> he wasn't as. Hmm. He didn't feel as close to that group. This was the second time he. The went. second time. I mean, so that didn't make the book at all. The and book how long was all... he
0: there the second time? Well, so he... he was
2: there, and from I would say the end of summer of forty-four till about the end of summer of forty-five. Yeah, I was gonna say okay.
1: what from what I remember. This has been a few years since I read that, but it, it's I didn't remember. Seeing Seen anything about Italy? And I didn't remember no. seeing anything about the end of the war, nearing no, the no. end of the war. It ended when he came back in January of '44,
2: and his best two friends on the uh, on the crew were killed in separate planes the day that he shipped out to go back. Mm-hmm. And that just about did my dad in. He was so close to these guys. He considers him the best friends he ever had, and he only knew them maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I'm named after them. I'm named after George Balmore from the Bronx, and James Counts from Mississippi. So George is your middle name? No, it's James Balmore Comer. Okay. So I I, and the Balmores and the Balmores in the Bronx thought of me because they were Catholic. They thought of (laughs) me as a it's a godson, even though us Methodists didn't have any. Right. And they sent me five dollars on my birthday every year when you were a kid oh which was a gigantic amount of money then it was the biggest cash infusion of my year
1: yeah <laughs> yeah man this is so cool because i i knew that i knew you had to have been inspired to do these kind of things from your dad but it seems like that just i didn't know you edited the book and is that what like,
0: inspired you to write by editing well no or I, what?
1: I i think that uh, i'd already started
0: writing
2: before that but okay. but we had such an amazing thing happen when when he actually got ready to do the book. Once it was finished, then he had to make the decision to spend the bucks to get it turned into this book, this hardcover book, and yeah. it cost fifteen thousand. Why? What? what well, tell- he just he went to a I don't know, what's the name of the company? Someplace in Waco, just a local press in Waco, and. Publishing company? That Texan Press in Waco. But it was not the kind of publishing company where they bought it. He had to pay for it. Yeah. You know, it's his vanity book. And he he decided to do 1,500 copies. And he figured if he did 1,500, he would break even. And much to my surprise, he sold out in six months. Well. Uh, you know, it's amazing. Because by that time, I knew some people in, at the Dallas Morning News. Because they had done a story on my book that had come out earlier my first book. And he, I got them to come out and do an interview with Dad and a big picture of him. And it was like an entire page of the Dallas Morning News. <laughs> How cool is and that? And it Aww. was great. And it, it really helped us Of because the, the book sold out. And then somebody- Did he I, get some more copies? Or well, here's the good news. Okay. I don't know who this person was. I don't know why I didn't find out the name, but somebody knew about a big literary agent in New York. I mean, a major one. And they got this book to the literary agent and she loved it and she sold it within wow. two weeks. Wow. To a major, major publisher. She sold it to, um, let's see, I should know this name. Oh, After there's the, there's
1: another copy there. This is this is
2: the big one, William Morrow, major oh, publisher. Oh yeah, I've wow. heard of that. And William Morrow is a major New York publisher and they bought it within two weeks and they did a big, better cover. Yeah, it looks great. A great cover and they did a hard, Hardcover version. Then an English publisher did a hardcover version in England, and then another English pub- publisher did a trade paperback.
3: And this and is all an before. American Kindle. publisher, yeah. I all, mean, this that's...
2: is all before Kendall. Years before. Then there was a regular mass market paperback in the United States, and then later I did the ebook and an audiobook.
0: Wow. So it had. Did one, you record did the you audio? It?
2: Oh, we had a major. Uh, we had a, a super uh, professional. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay. No, we had a, a guy who oh, does audio. you
0: would have done great yeah. reading it.
2: Well, I would have done okay. No, but I, there, it's a real skill. Oh, a, it's a okay. it's a specialized art, and I'm not
1: even you know that McConaughey reads his. Have you well, heard his? Where? Are
2: <laughs> so are you? Well, it's been an awful long time, and I'm sure that McConaughey had a lot of help in doing it with starting and
1: stopping. I think, you know, I don't know. It was weird, I was listening to it today. It is so good,
0: Jim. Have it, you listened to it? No, I,
1: I'd like to listen yeah, to it. Yeah, and oh, I, wow. I do recommend listening to it because he reads it. If well, anybody he's else it. Tra- and he's it. charming. Yeah, well, and and no, nobody is gonna, like, I have a feeling if you were reading his words, not in his voice, they wouldn't sound near no, as great. No, I, I you think, know?
2: if you're a major celebrity, yeah. you'd probably need to do it, unless you're just somebody who doesn't want to.
1: Yeah, but if, yes. but if you can yeah. do
2: it, it would, but this guy that we got was one of the top uh, voiceover people. For yeah, Parks.
1: yeah, no, it's yeah, it's just it's interesting because like, well, and it brings me to what you something you said earlier that you said uh, you, it feels strange writing a memoir when you feel like you should be more famous. But it's funny because that would almost entail that in order to have something to say, you need to be famous. And and so I think it's really important that we make a distinguished thing on uh, on what made you to go ahead and push past that thought and go ahead and say, I'm doing this anyway, even though I'm not famous, you know? So yeah, what we're is,
2: now going from 19... So this Dad's book came out in...
1: Oh, well, we're, bouncing Are we bouncing we're bouncing around?
2: Yeah, we bouncing around. Yeah, because this is yeah. today. Then, remember, this was 84. Yeah. Okay, And my first book was about had come out three years earlier. I wrote my first book, came out of this. I, I'd started doing articles uh, for this local sure. West Side New York weekly called Wisdom's Child. Okay. And they gave it away. You know, there was like eighty or 90,000 copies. So it had a nice circulation. And somehow, I, I don't know how I got in there, but I would do funny pieces just on life in New York.
0: I know. I can't wait to hear about this book. Yeah. And I,
2: one day, th- but then they asked me to do a cover story on locks, L-O-C-K-S, not the kind you eat, L-O-X. Uh-huh. And I had to do some real research because this Lux. was going to be like 1,800 words. And I mean, I went all out because I don't know anything about locks. And I, I got the basics. And 1,800, and it totally took my entire knowledge away. Wow. And so I got it. It was good. I had a little humor in it. but And I get a call from an agent literary agent okay. who says, I love the article. Would you like to do a book on locks? And I said, Absol- and I said absolutely not. And then, this, <laughs> then, then out of Surely my not. mouth came this interesting sentence. I said, the only thing I know enough to write a book about is roommates because I've had so many.
0: Oh my gosh. And as so it funny. came
2: out of my mouth, I thought the other part of my brain thought that would be a, it's a good idea. That's yeah, relatable. That's a very good idea. So many people in New York and roommates, not college people. That so that was about seventy four. Maybe that happened. Okay. And, and, Okay.
1: All right. Since we are on a ti- since we're talking timeline, and we're trying not to bounce, around, we're probably going to bounce around. But, That's okay. We're bad but, about bouncing around. Yeah. Yes. And and I like well. And honestly, to me, timelines don't always work linear. They usually, to me, work in what spawned what this, this thought in 2020 or whatever year uh what where where how what connected to that back in say 74 84 but this sounds like so your dad's book was 84 and this was 74 that well, this happened to you well it didn't
2: it happened but it, then i wrote the book i want to say in 75 76 okay and I, and I remember one summer i had signed up to do this i i'd left a job i took a regular job because i was like burnt out of being poor mm-hmm. and i took this job and I, for a year i wasn't poor and then i i saw this <laughs> theater. Theater, this theater company was doing all these shows that i wanted to do godspell and several yeah. others that i would always wanted cost to cost you a piece of your soul but you weren't feeling poor <laughs> but it was a non equity company not uh, a union company uh, and if a non non union companies can treat actors not sure, very well right. sure yes so nevertheless i quit my job and Sublet my apartment Uh and went off to New Jersey to do this thing. And it was a disaster from the first week. I thought, oh, no, it was kind of a collegiate. It was like being in a dorm. It was not what they had told me it was going to be. Oh, so it was
0: including room and board. Oh, yes.
2: But it was, it was, if I had, by that time, I was probably 27 or 8. If I'd been 19, it would have been great. But I quit. I just didn't, I thought this was a big mistake. But of course, I came back to no job, no unemployment, because I'd quit, and no apartment (laughs) for three months, because I'd sublet it for the summer. I mean, there I was, (laughs) and I mean, bouncing around from friends' sofa to sofa that summer and writing my book. Okay. And I really did a lot of the writing on, on people's sofas. That summer, and so I wrote it in. That was seventy six, and I would think it by seventy seven. I had it written.
1: So now that was your first book, right?
2: And My the first name book, well, of the
0: book is
2: How to Survive a Roommate. That's <laughs> a great title. And I, I got an agent. That. I was able to get a, an agent who later became a really major romance agent. This was she was just starting out. She loved the book. She thought it was funny. She signed it. She shopped it. So she started shopping it in 77. And we got a great illustrator who did the, uh, she did the uh, roommate book and she later did the book that didn't sell about an insomniac's guidebook <laughs> that glows in the dark. She <laughs> has turned out to be a major New Yorker cartoonist, oh, married wow. to another, they just did a retrospective of her work, Liza Donnelly, major, major cartoonist. Cool. I got her when she just was starting.
1: Okay. And I you knew still keep even in th-
2: touch with her. I knew even then that she was just genius. Yeah. So anyway, so that book started marketing it in '77. It didn't sell till. I want to say it sold in maybe '79, and then it came out in the fall of '80. And it takes forever to do any of this stuff. And then I was on the Today Show with that book. Wow. On January 2nd, 1981. Okay. Oh, wow. And I, of course, thought, I'm going to be rich and famous. <laughs> I'm on the Today Show. <laughs> I'm gonna be rich and famous. <laughs> I really thought that, I'm not kidding. Well, that if, was if I was on the, the Today, today Show, I would assume I was going someplace
1: somewhere too? It
2: was the number one book selling venue in the country at that time. Wow. Mm. Number one, not even a close second. And I got on. Who, who was
1: who were the anchors in the? In it was 80s. Jane
2: Polly who okay. just started oh, wow. working, and she was young and beautiful. And what was so funny? I got, only got a chance to do that because I had a friend of a friend of a friend who knew the talent booker, and I got an interview. Didn't mean I was going to get who on. Cares, that's, hey, that's, how, how it. Who cares? Hey, how does it ever happen? You and know? so I went in to see her, and I don't know where this idea came from, but I said I have an idea. I think I should interview Jane as a potential roommate. I think that would make a funny interview and I can get the ideas of my book, what I suggest about, you know, the ideas of being a good roommate across in the interview. Well, her eyes lit up because Jane was new and was kind of a little more reserved. And they thought this would be fun for Jane, chance for her to use her sense of humor. Oh so they said yes within one hour. And so then I, you know, I'm, I'm so excited about this. and Again, I, I go there that morning and of course, I don't get to meet Jane. I finally get, they bring me from the green room into the big studio, you know, right, two minutes before I go on. And Jane comes and sits by me for about 30 seconds before the light, you know, before, the during commercial break. And I say to Jane, I think, I think this interview with you is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to interview. She <laughs> said, she said, well, you know, I don't really think that's a very good idea. I'm, and she's putting it down. I'm going to myself, oh no. And I thought, you know, as the lights came on and she started to do a regular interview Inside me, I thought, this is the only time in your life you will ever be on the Today Show. Go for it. I interrupted her. I said, Jane, I really think that we need to have an interview because I want to see if you would make a good roommate. Do you have a good paying job? (laughs) And she she thought that was funny. So then she played, and we played back and forth with questions and answers for five minutes. Now, a typical unknown writer gets... Two minutes. Yes. Right. We got five because it was funny. That
0: right. I even funny. asked
2: her, I said, Jane, how do I put this delicately? Will you be having overnight guests? <laughs> so I don't know how, I don't know. I just gave my a <laughs> shot. At it. I gave myself a shot. And the crew was laughing and it lasted five minutes. And when I left that studio to walk up to my regular, by then I was writing for Avon. I had a regular job. I thought, you know, I'm walking up Fifth Avenue. Leaving thirty rock. That's where it was. Yeah, I'm thinking this is going to happen. I am really this going to be a bestseller. (laughs) It it has to be a bestseller. That was the best interview in history. Well, it was a great interview, but I didn't know you needed about fifty of them. All over the country, and you had that needed a marketing campaign behind it, and you needed to be in every store with big, you know, what they call end caps where Mm -hmm. they can see the books. We we had nothing of that, Mm -hmm. sadly. The editor that bought the book, that loved it, she took another job. She got a better job with a different company about three months after she bought my book. So I never had anybody fighting my battles. Got a terrible cover that wasn't funny. And I didn't get any support from the publisher at all. I got this thing on my own, the Today Show. So it didn't happen. It didn't sell a lot of books. Mm -hmm. But I did have fun with it. And it did happen. Yeah. But I realized, you know, from that experience that it takes so much to create a bestseller or even to create a book that sells moderately well. You've got to have a lot of support from the publisher or be one of those rare, you know, lightning strike, word of mouth things that just happens. But uh, anyway, it was was fun for the moment.
0: Well, and things are different these days too with all the different platforms that you could put your book on. So, you know, even when Matthew, when you published your book the thing, the opportunities that you have to reach a wider audience are there just for the plain fact that anybody could search it. And if they're interested in acting, then boom, they can purchase it. Yeah. You know, it's not, it doesn't have to necessarily go the traditional route through. Yeah.
2: But in in 1981, uh, 80, when that book came out in 81, when I was on the Today Show, it was old school still.
1: Yeah, and it's probably still true uh, what you're saying about it needing a, a team to push it. If you oh, want to yes. have it be in a hurry, you know, if you want to make something of it in a hurry, if you're looking like you need it to to go somewhere now, but it's funny too because the odds of it getting to catch on over time, you know, uh, because of these platforms, I would I would suspect, I don't know, but but I would suspect that that because a book lingers. On an Amazon, and because Amazon is the first place—I don't even know if it is anymore. It, I think it probably is by now that most people are reading through that platform. Well, I think they are. Um, they but
2: you know, back then, you—you—you yeah. you, uh, you only had they had a spring list and a fall yeah. list, so you had a few months that they that they paid attention. And if they had a list, so the publisher had a, what they call a list of maybe ten books in the fall, yeah, or and that might be less, say ten in the spring. Mm-hmm. They're really going to put their resources.
1: Behind a couple. Well, of and and back then, just because you buy one book that's similar to your book, doesn't mean anybody's going to get linked to your book. The way that the Kindle thing works, and the way the internet has done it, is now if somebody buys a book about acting <laughs> that has anything near what is in my book, my book will immediately turn right, up under right. under there somewhere, and at least somebody who had a, had no chance of finding it might. So, would I? You know, would a book like mine? Mine was never meant to to. Being any any kind of bestseller, anyway, but it, but because it's just about a very specific thing, but, but I've had chances to sell it in places I would never have imagined, just because of the fact that it's out there, you know. Right, it is out there, there. (laughs) and that's a big
2: because also in the bookstores, which was where you sold books then. Yeah. After you had your number of months on the shelves, if it wasn't selling, you were they sent it back to the publisher called Remainders,
1: and they would send it back to the publisher. Well, it is strange because a book like that is the kind of book that, I mean, you you, you read that title and that, that's so relatable, that is the kind of book that could actually but, be but, a bestseller. But, but,
2: but look, at the, look at the cover. Look at the cover. Not funny. Two keys. I didn't know that the, we needed a funny cover to go with a funny title, and Yeah. look what we've got. It is a terrible cover, but I didn't know that at the time. I was just so thrilled. I have Well, and you
1: should be. I mean, But you know. still,
2: I would have, if I should have gone back to them and said, this is not the right cover. Which you, is
0: ironic that they have keys on there when you said the first article you had to write was about, about locks. About locks. Isn't that funny? That is funny. But, but the this beginning, was not funny. This is not a funny cover. Oh my gosh, Jim. The beginning of this book is, is so. It's funny. a funny book. Just from the beginning. We'll just, we'll just read it. It says, uh, hold on. The. It says, wait just a minute, James Comer. Comer? Yes. Okay. What qualifies you to give advice on roommates? And it says, I've had 16 of them. Nine are still my friends and two send Christmas cards. That's not a bad percentage. I've lived with students, office workers, an artist, a salesman, a secretary, actors, a fundraiser, and the unemployed. I've shared apartments in sleepy San Antonio, sprawling Los Angeles, and skyscraping New York. And I've survived. That's what this book is about. Any other questions? And it says, "Yeah, about 150 of them. Fire away. That's
2: not too bad. Yeah,
0: that's great. <laughs> that's oh my great. gosh, I gotta read <laughs> that's this. Really I should great. have read it, this it, before, is, before. There is Before Gemma. you were well, my roommate. <laughs> it,
1: it, is is it on Amazon or can we oh, borrow sure your book? Oh, I'm sure it's not. I'm sure this.
2: I'm sure this is. I, you I think, know, you should put that, that on need there. A pickaxe to find this book
1: but buried someplace. I think you should put it on there. I mean, I, it, I don't think it exists anyplace. It exists right there in your hand. Well, in my hand. But the, the, how do I get
2: this? You'd have
1: to retype it. Well, they still own it. So then if it's typed, I, I mean, I could even, I'd even be willing to help you with that. I did it with mine. It's not that hard. I would have to get the rights back from Franklin Morris. Oh, See, once you've sold a book, oh, you shit. do not shit. own it
2: anymore. That they own it. Shit. They would have to sign papers to give me the, I'm sure oh, they would, because they never did anything with it at the time.
1: Can you? Well, it might be worth finding out, because at least you could bring it back to life. I, I know. To, I'd I would. To re- I'd have to read it again. I would, no, I would love to, to have it, a but, copy of but that. Uh, yeah, I want to read it. And but but uh, think but, of
0: today in the art of today, even in you know cities where. Oh my! It's
1: more. It's as relevant as it was in
0: eighty one. It was I'm I'm
2: sure true. some of the humor. i I just wonder what are the chapters? Let's just. Oh my
1: gosh! They are the hilarious. Chapters. That's a great book.
0: Yes, and I haven't even what? read it yet,
1: but I can tell it's a great
0: book. It's like from page one, it was hilarious. What are the chapters?
1: Oh,
2: here's one of my favorite things. I've got the names of all my first names of all the roommates. That's the chapters? Uh, <laughs> the chapters, no, chapters, chapters are the first are, name? Oh. <laughs> oh no, that was who it's dedicated to. <laughs> yeah, that was The chapters be awesome. are,
3: uh,
2: who needs a roommate? Choosing the one, you can room, You can win at r- roommate roulette. Money, college days. <laughs> roommate anything roulette. Anything one can do, two, four can do cheaper. <laughs> yours, mine, and ours, the art of sharing. Dealing with eccentricities, oh my. Sex versus privacy. How to ignore lust 10 feet away.
3: Oh my gosh. If
2: your roommate is your lover, pets, plants, and house guests, how to settle a dispute or initiate one when it's time to move on, splitting without a meat cleaver, and you're on your own now.
1: You got to get the rights
2: to that I back. Oh my
0: gosh. That that is, is, can we
2: borrow this? Yes, you can. It? It's the only copy. So be, well, uh, oh. no, we won't, we'll, you can be gentle with yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Be yes. very gentle with it.
2: So that, the good news about that book was that, that it helped me get, um, you know, I mean,
1: it it gave me a feeling of
2: legitimacy just because it
1: existed, you know. Well, and if if you can look back on it today and we're sitting around having a laugh about it and you're remembering it fondly, obviously that was worth it, but also it it's, it's still relevant. I can tell it's still relevant, you know. Well, people are still struggling with those same issues. Oh you know? yeah. Yeah. So. And
0: everybody enjoys humor
2: well jane's answer to my question about uh would you be having overnight guests then she broke character and she said amazingly i had that problem at the university of oklahoma yeah. <laughs> my roommate came equipped with a boyfriend uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it was yeah. the three of us living unhappily ever after or uh-huh, something like that uh-huh, uh-huh. and so but we it was um it was fun and she they let it go on not because of my brilliance but of it was doing well, the what they wanted related. to. They wanted to see Jane be funny, and she was. And we we had chemistry, and it, it, that's what they wanted. So it met their needs. So that was 81. That was the that January 2nd. All 91. right. So, next in the, what was the next? And then Dad's r- r- book came out three years later. And then I began doing speech writing. And so I did, in the 80s and 90s, I did a lot of corporate work, a lot of. Sk- uh, speeches, which is what led to what you do currently. Yeah, and the speech writing led to speech coaching, and okay. that led to presentation skills workshops.
0: Okay, gotcha. So I
2: didn't do another book. Uh, well, I well, the one that didn't, the one that got away right here before I left New York to go back that to LA one is hilarious. I, I came up with the idea because I had been an insomniac forever, and and still, and I struggle. I thought about what would be funny, and I came up with this idea <laughs> called "Sleep Without Sheep." The Insomniac's Handbook That Glows in the Dark. (laughs) And you know, I have never been able to find anybody to give me a cover that blows in the dark. I know it must be able to happen. I've never been able to make it happen. This was the book, Got to Ballantyne, which is a big publisher. And they said yes. And then they had a change in management. And then this new management said no. So it came close, but no cigar. It is still her first of all, her drawings are oh, just hysterical. See them. Oh my and gosh. And it's yeah. funny. It's still funny. I would still love to sell it. Oh, people out there who are listening to this, this is a funny book. <laughs> and you own this one. It I own is this. Funny. I own it and it's funny. Again. And it would be a great gift book to Again. all the millions of insomniacs, Jim said as he pitched his book relentlessly. <laughs>
0: It really would be a well, great well, just, and, it, and just could, look at
2: that look at those drawings they're
1: great. You could um of course,
2: I would have to have her it. say yes to it after all these years. She did this probably around 1980 and she came real famous since so I don't We spoke when I first got to to Austin. I I had this and I that's when I got these nice copies And I spoke to her on the phone. And she was interested in she was perfectly open to me selling it back then, which never happened. Of course, it's twenty-four years later, and she's much more famous and much richer. So I don't know if she'd be interested or not. But her work is great in there.
0: So is everything. So I've seen a pattern in these two books, but your humor comes through in both of them.
2: My humor are, comes through in, in everything in, I do. Yeah. Okay,
0: so in all, are all of your all of the books or publications that you have um, put out there are they all?
2: No, actually the most successful one and the one I guess I'm most proud of is this one. The one I did in the early 2000s about caregiving because I think you probably know that I came back to Texas suddenly in 1996 when my my dad had a stroke and my mother had early Alzheimer's and they'd been living in Dallas. I was the only child because I had a brother who died early and a car wreck, And so uh, I was out in California writing for a CEO And I got the call saying that dad was having a stroke and I had to get back to Texas instantly to get them through those first couple of weeks and to get him, he he went into intensive care. And then they told me I had to get him into rehab within a week. And we had no family in Dallas where they'd been for 34 years. All the family was down here Mm. in Austin, Georgetown, which is why I'm here. Ah. So within a few days, I flew down. Found a rehab at St. David's. I picked St. David's because a nurse smiled at me. Seriously. <laughs> I didn't know what I was looking for. I went to four places in one day. Her smile. That's what we chose it. And so I, they announced that he they would bring him down in an ambulance the next Monday from Dallas to Austin. And I thought, well, good. And then, I, of course, I tell my mother this. And she says, well, that's fine for daddy. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying oh. right here in my house. Well, of course, she didn't realize she couldn't stay in her house by herself. Daddy was doing everything. Right. So I had to get her down to my cousins who oh. volunteered to keep her for a while while I tried to decide what to do. So I had to get her in the car in Dallas to get her to Georgetown. Oh, man. And she was not going to go. So the day that they're taking Dad down in the ambulance... I'm thinking, how do I get her in the car?
0: Oh, no. This
2: is what happens. And I write, I write about this in the book a lot. Just, you know, I had to improv it. And I thought, what would get her in the car? Mm-hmm. And I thought, I know, ice cream. <laughs> ice cream. So <laughs> I'm like, I call this therapeutic lying. And I highly <laughs> recommend it to all of you caregivers. Therapeutic Therapeutic lying. lying. On that Monday morning, i go to my mother's. She's sitting at her breakfast table. She's doing the little coffee, the Dallas Morning News. And I say, mama, how would you like to go get some ice cream? And she smiled, put the paper down, <laughs> got right up from the table. And my, my instincts sort up and walked with me into the car, which I had packed for her the night before. Okay. And we headed toward Austin. I did stuff. It's the first Dairy Queen. Okay, Got her the biggest, gooeyest Sunday you ever saw. And we headed south. And I kept waiting for
0: For her her to to say, where are we
2: going? She never said it. Hmm. She was too busy commenting on the colors of passing cars. And I got her to my cousin's. And I headed back to LA. I'd been gone 11 days and I had a job. And that was the beginning of 14 years of caregiving. And that's where this
1: title came, When Roles reversed, Because
2: those roles reversed in one Second, when yeah. he had that stroke, he wasn't walking or talking
1: for the first mm,
2: month or two. So I mean, it was
1: so, it was instant, and overnight. Had parent. your had your mom already sort of like if it weren't for him, would her, would the reversal have already happened? Oh, she he was running everything at home. She okay.
2: was no longer driving. Her cooking had gotten down to more like assembling. She all the things she used to do: keep the books for the family, do the Christmas cards. He was doing all of that. She
1: you know when was I she was, older than him or no, just, she
2: was 3 years younger.
1: Oh, okay. she was 78. Just this happens happened. different for everybody. It's just different.
2: 78's not it's not early, but no. he was yeah, I think he was 80 and she was 78 when this happened. Okay. So that was the second No, book. you know something I've got that wrong. Oh, go ahead. 84 and 86. We first noticed, She was 84, he was yes, 80. Yes, we first noticed oh, it. That's wow. quite a bit older. No, we first noticed it when he was I knew was, something yeah. was wrong with those numbers. We began to notice that something was wrong when she was 70.
1: Well, years. and especially, you know, even in the last 40, 50 years, you know, I mean, I know whatever the average lifespan has sort of not changed a whole bunch, but it's, but, but it, I think it has. And I think we're seeing people live longer, obviously. And, and so 84, in what year would that have been?
2: This was in nineteen ninety six. Okay,
1: so eighty four. Then, like, I'm thinking about my grandparents too, and um, when things started to kind of, you know, I don't know. It is it's so different for everybody though, because you know, they they're when it, and when it happens, it seems to happen fast. It's like, it it it. I noticed it with my grandparents. Like one day we were just having a normal conversation. I was the kid. They were the adult. And the next thing I knew. Not that I was doing all the things you were doing, but I noticed, why am I talking to them like they're the kid, and why Mm -hmm. are they talking to me like I'm, I don't, why am I, why does it feel like I'm just agreeing like they're just a little kid? I don't understand why that's happening.
2: Yeah, what happened was that when I came home, I I, I was, I mean, first of all, I had to quit my good job Mm -hmm. and leave LA, which I'd been in 14 years, Mm -hmm. leave friends and church and everything else, and all of a sudden, I'm in Texas where I hadn't lived in 30 years. And so I'm dealing with being in a new place, no job, instant caregiver. I'm also trying to get sober. All this at the same time.
1: Hmm. And uh, it was a lot. Did it help you get sober or did it it hinder you? It did help me get sober. It did, okay.
2: Because I needed to be sober to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I'd been working on sober for a while, but I hadn't totally succeeded. And I did succeed within a few Months of uh, moving. Because you just didn't have a choice? I just had to. And I I was ready. I wanted to. I just, I just, I uh, I got with the right people and the right meetings and it worked. Yeah. And so I was a lot happening. And so as the time went on and I made lots of mistakes, as you do when you're starting out as a caregiver, I mean, you're trying, you don't know anything. And I certainly didn't know how to deal with Alzheimer's, but I learned. And so what this book is, basically... I, I think it was about five or six years into this, in the early 2000s, I began, I think I'd written, a, um, I'd written an article for a local magazine about caregiving, just a, just a one-pager, but it, had, it was good. I knew it was good. And then I began to talk of it. I actually did a little talk on it someplace locally, and people really responded to the talk. And all of a sudden, I began to get the idea, you know, I need to write a book about this. Because I could help a lot of people. And, and and there can be a lot of humor in it. Well, look at the story about the ice cream. Yeah. That's a funny story. Yeah. And it was a serious situation, but a funny story. And that was true throughout. Mm-hmm. And plus, my mother is very funny. And she had one-liners way into her all the time. She had great one-liners. And my dad was a character. I mean, and then just funny things happened. And you, you, it's so important to have a sense of humor. So I thought I'd write a book in which I would tell my journey and my parents' journey during these years. And then I thought, well, I'll, I'll balance that by having the second half of the book being interviews with experts in independent living, um, skilled nursing, assisted living, you know, all the different areas, hospice. You know, the, the things that people need to know. So it's got a two parts to it. It's a story.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then I've got 50 questions that'll save you time, money, and tears with sections where you can actually write the answer. Mm. So you can sit down with your parents and go through these questions. Oh, and that's actually,
0: great. You
2: know, it's funny. Because all I, the
0: questions that you wish you-
2: All the ones that I wish I'd asked.
0: Yeah. Because I didn't I ask any that. of them
2: because my father would not talk about my mother's condition during the five years- it was and obvious. when
0: they're in the right state of mind where they're able to answer the question. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to do
2: it early, not late.
0: Well, and even with us, you know, my my father passed away very young. He had a heart attack when he was in his 50s. Oh, my. And so- um, Early 50s. Early 50s. Oh, and so terrible. when Matthew and I, um, after that, we've had lots of conversations where I will say to him, you know if you you know if you're ever wondering where I keep all of these all of <sighs> this paperwork, it's located here. You need to know that because you don't know where these
2: things okay, are. Okay, I'm going to ask you the most important question of the fifty. Okay. Do you have a will?
0: Yes. Oh, I'm so proud. So of So after
2: that means you have a will too. That
0: d- that does. I'm because so
2: proud of you because do you know it's seven out of ten Americans
1: do if, not have a will. And is this? Uh, I I'm assuming. You're saying you're proud of us because it's going to make if something bad happens, it'll make the other rest of people's it's lives easier, right? oh, well,
2: yes. yes, it's a, called an adult thing to do. Okay, and a kind kind thing it to is. Do. It's adult. It it's it kind. Out. It's smart. It's everything. Everybody should have a will. I can't. Mm-hmm. I preach this, and I preach it in my speeches that I do on this subject. And you know, I, I well Prince, two hundred and fifty million dollars estate, no will. Aretha Franklin, eighty million dollars estate, no will. Lots of football players, no will.
0: Yeah,
1: that's
2: crazy.
0: Yeah, and you do and look it. Look what in it time. does to
2: the families. They're they're caught in court for years. Yeah,
1: and it breaks them apart. It too. does.
2: It's a terrible thing to do to a family. It and yet, is. people just refuse to get wills. I mean, they're. I think they think they're going to die if they get the will. They're going to die anyway. <laughs> it is a guarantee
1: yeah it's a guarantee it It is is. an
2: absolute no-brainer we're all gonna die we need to have a will and we need powers of attorney and a living will
0: yeah you need all of those, and you have to ask those hard questions who wrote my will you i wrote the will (laughs) good for you well and uh so yeah it was just i knew what i had to go through we i knew what we had to go through after my dad passed he didn't have a will right he did have a will oh, he did. because uh. he was in the military. It was an old, old will, but still it was better than having no will. Like it was so old that my brother wasn't even written into it yet. Oh my yet. goodness. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we did that and um, it was just something I felt like and we got to do it. And I will say I hesitated because we don't have children. Right. And so I thought, well, do I really? No, I needed to do it. So we just Well, did and, it anyway. a,
1: and it's one of those truths that it doesn't come so obvious because there's other truths that, that uh, sort of pit themselves against it. The whole idea of living in the moment goes against any idea of writing a will, you know, and they tell you all the time, it's all the rage. You got to settle down, live in the moment. Well, you Past can live the in the moment and still have a will. Well, I'm not saying you can't, but I'm I'm saying <laughs> what, what I'm, I'm saying. saying is it confuses. it's confusing. But the truth is, I think for people in their 50s and 60s and even
2: older, you can you imagine not having a will in your 70s that makes no sense to me. I do think that people have this
1: But when did you come by this knowledge? I when did you when did you get firm about everybody should have a will? When I saw Right. What happened? Correct. Did you right. get a will right. after that? Right. I got a will after that. After. Right, okay. so when I got
2: a will when I came back to Texas.
1: Yeah. Right, okay. so my point is, there's I so many people who haven't mind. gone through that to know that it's that important. That's it, what. But we all know. We all know that we're going to die. Yes, but. but and we all know
2: that we have families or friends that we want to right. know, do but, things but with. But what
1: it would take is someone to say, hey, let me give you a little hint, young fella. You need to get a will. Do wheel. it. And that is. it what costs it
0: money. I mean, it, and it does. But not that's, a lot of money. It, not a lot, but some no. people well, don't. Well, what's a lot? I don't they don't want to spend $500, you know? They don't want to spend a couple hundred dollars. Actually, when, you could when you're 20, 22,
1: 23, 24, ask me to spend an extra 500 bucks on a will. The answer is absolutely not. Not, <laughs> not in the 20s, but I would say certainly about your 40s. Yeah. yeah.
2: And you can go, and if you're poor, if you're really, that's not a politically correct word, poor. If you're less advantaged, okay. mm-hmm. you can. Find places, yeah. probably legal aid that will do
1: a simple will for you. Yeah, yeah. And if you, you just don't have a lot it. of
2: resources, you're not going to have a complicated will, right? You well, just want to have something.
1: Well, and and I guess that that's sort of the point of you have a a a person that has gone. It, that's the whole idea, but but behind having an older brother, older sister, a family member, a friend that has gone through something that you simply haven't. Is they can tell you something that you don't know and you wouldn't know otherwise. Why would you know that? You know, even if it seems so obvious from the other side of the fence, it's not from this side of the fence, right? Mm-hmm. And now, I when you did our will, it was because you went through something, and yeah. it was like,
3: okay.
2: Yeah, and I you see. all are
1: very young to be smart enough to have a will,
2: but I'm talking you went primarily of yeah. yeah. uh, people who are in their fifties, sixties. Why they would? Right. Why they wouldn't have a will? be is beyond me right
1: because certainly they've gone through something oh by now. they've
2: seen lots of people
0: die yeah right and
2: their friends are dying yeah they're just going they're seeing yeah. it and they know so this, that's it, just
1: it, it being is, lazy it is fear or it is,
0: is i think it is fear okay it's fear or laziness or not or both yeah or not but wanting primarily to they
2: just yeah. don't want to deal with their own mortality mm-hmm. that's, that's that's the true. bottom line
1: well in that Yeah,
0: I agree with that. I
2: think that's
1: it. 90% of it. I I do agree with that because whenever you start bringing up this stuff about, you know where I keep it, oh, stop telling me that. Yeah. You You need to know. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. Because you think about, uh, I watched my mom after go, I don't know, your dad kept it all here. And I said, you didn't ask him. He never told you where this stuff was. And so those are things where I thought, dang, not, I don't want that to happen. So well, you have to have and, those hard conversations whether yes. you want and that's to or one not. of
2: the things I talk about in the early part of the book, the
0: importance
2: of having those conversations. They don't even have to be hard. They just need to be. You need to open the door for conversation. And mm-hmm. it should be an ongoing conversation with the adult children and the parents about finding out what they want mm-hmm. and what they don't want as yeah. they age,
3: mm-hmm.
2: where they want to live, if there's even a choice, and yeah. what they can afford. Yeah. Because yes. I got to tell you right now, very small percentage of the American people can afford to live in one of these fabulous, um, you know, independent yes. living, assisted oh, yes. living. Those are for the top twenty percent in income. Right. They are palaces these days. Now they didn't used to be, but they are palaces today. Mm-hmm. And so they're not cheap. Most yeah. most Americans can't afford to live there. Yeah. I hate to say is. that. And nursing home. Well, if you get to the nursing home, that's going to be covered most likely by Medicaid. Mm-hmm. About I think about 80% of nursing home beds are Medicaid covered.
3: Mm-hmm. And if you're
2: living in a state like Texas, which has is not generous with Medicaid, that limits the number of people even can that can get into nursing homes. Yeah. So it ends up that most people stay at home mm-hmm. and they are cared for. Yep. For five family members. And often- now my
1: mom just went through it. I
2: mean- yeah, But often by the family member who in lives year. in the town where they are. Correct. Even if that family member is the least likely good caregiver. Yeah. They're close by. Yeah. So that's just the reality. Of it. Mm-hmm. So these conversations need to happen early mm-hmm. so you can do some planning. Yeah. And find out really who does need to do the caregiving. Mm-hmm. Which ones are going to show up? Who's going to be missing in action? Mm-hmm. And they will be mm-hmm. missing in action. Yeah. Some of them will. Some of them will not show up. And some of them will surprise you. You'll think somebody will be one of the ones that will be stalwart, and not really. Mm-hmm. But that was not my problem because, A, I had no brothers and sisters, and it was me. There wasn't any choice about who was going to yeah. show up. It was moi. You're it. You're I was it. it. Tag, you're it. And I had a lot of learning to do. And the good news is
0: Did my you dad had this? a recovery.
2: He had a complete recovery.
0: Oh, wow. Within
2: four months after he did a, some crazy stuff the first couple of months. He wanted to commit suicide. I come, I, a month in, I'm, I come back about, maybe even a month, two or three weeks after the first visit, I'm back to see how mm. things are using his credit card because I couldn't afford all this flying. And uh, I go to the, the, his room and again, he can't, can't walk, doesn't have control of his bodily functions yet and and can barely talk at all. And he sees me come in. And I'll never forget it. He said, he got three words out.
3: Get me pills.
1: Pain pills? What?
2: I looked at the look on his face. I knew exactly the kind of pills he wanted. He wanted pills to end his life. Oh. Oh. He wanted me to help him kill himself. It was very clear. I mean, I was looking right at his face and I knew exactly what he wanted. And he's also deaf without his hearing.
1: So he would have just taken a whole bottle of pills he and called he it. He would have
2: checked it out because he thought he was stuck there that way forever. And I I'm yelling to him, I said,
1: dad, I can't do that. I'll go to jail.
2: <laughs> no, no, not hell, dad, jail. <laughs> or hell too, I'm not I'll doing it. I'll go to both. Yeah. That's right, I'm both. not doing it. And, and he was not happy with the answer. So then I talked to the doctor and I said, is there anything we can do to get his, you know." His so he can pee again. Is there anything we can do? Yeah. He said, well, we can do this operation on his prostate. About a 50-50 chance. I said, let's do it. Okay. And Dad signed for it. So did he do it? They did the operation. And about two, three weeks later, it worked. he could pee. <laughs> <right>. Oh, wow. <laughs> and boy, that made all yeah. the difference in the world in his attitude. Suddenly, he wanted to live. Amazing. Again, what- now, see, that was just, in- see, again, when I talk about intuition, Improvisation. I didn't know that was the right thing to do. It seemed to me to be the right thing to do. I took a a, a bet on it and I just went for it. Well, it was That's his dignity. Happened. It was his dignity. Mm-hmm. And I thought if it gets it, that might make a difference. Mm-hmm.
1: So Yeah, then I, I would I, think you would lean into if I saw my dad wanting to either take pills or pee again. I would lean toward let's open pee again. Well,
0: and even Nanny, I think yeah. back to Matthew's grandmother. I remember she w- didn't want anybody to take her car keys. Oh yeah, that's and a it was it was like her freedom. That was her control, right. and everybody kept hiding her car. Keys. That's good. Um, and oh, that was a tough.
1: Except that, it, yeah, yeah. Well, and I wasn't there for it, but I heard the stories, and some it people don't handle one. no, and some people don't handle. Not being in control of their own destiny. Yeah, but
2: I have a, I have real strong feelings on that one. And of course, I didn't have to deal with that because after dad's stroke, he couldn't drive. Mm-hmm. Doctor told him he didn't drive. Yeah. And mother had already quit driving because of the Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and she got lost. So I, that was a conversation I did not have. But I know this, too many people who are elderly are driving and causing massive accidents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, facts. It happens a lot. Yeah, that's fact. Um, I have friends in California, you may or may not remember, this is 20 years ago, but there was a guy in Santa Monica, lovely old man in his 80s, and he was driving, and it shouldn't have been, and he got his feet, he thought he was putting on the brakes, and he hit the... Yes. Yeah. He killed nine people Mm -hmm. in the Santa Monica Mall. Promenade, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Third Street Promenade. Right. right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And he went to church with some friends
1: of mine. They said he was a lovely man, but no one had told him no. Well, and, and, you know, in the case of Nanny, it was not that no one told her no. They told her no. They hid the keys. They did that. But she'd show up with a baseball bat ready to get her keys back. (laughs) Yeah. That's the kind of woman she was. But you you know, it's like
2: you had to keep fighting it because, you know, here's today. And today, I, I just did an article about this. Today we have an option called Uber. Yeah. Give them an account with Uber. Say you've still got your independence. You can go and come. I don't care where you go. You right. go, come wherever you want to go. Yeah. You're just not driving. Yeah. Call Uber. You're yeah. still independent.
0: Yeah. That yeah. Great. That's, well, that's, that's, a good pretty, enough, good, that's, that's a pretty good. That's pretty
1: good. For some. It's pretty good. I'd say it's pretty good. It's good enough for some. It's not going to be good for all. No. Because it's there a, are plenty that go no. I want to control the car. I know, but still, that's a <laughs> that's really it, strong
2: you know, argument, though.
1: It, it is. It is. It is. It's just not going to. But but that's the thing about arguing with a child or a super old person is that not always going to be work. logical. Right. Reason don't work. Yeah. And, you know, when I
2: first when I first got back to Texas, because it took me six months to I was going back and forth, back and forth, before I finally decided I had to quit my job, and I had to I gave them some notice, and so I arrived. Everything's happened in uh, February is when dad had the stroke and I was back and forth for the next six months. And then I moved in October and that was the first time I was around Alzheimer's on a full-time basis. And boy, oh boy, so different than flying in and out. Yeah. And I remember going to mother's room by then they were in independent living at the Wesleyan, a really good independent living in Georgetown where we wanted them to be. And dad had talked his way into getting mother in, even though she really didn't qualify. They did. He just used his salesman ability, got her in and I go to her room and she's got 50 dresses in her closet and she will only wear five of them because the rest of them are stolen. Jim, I oh, can't wear yeah. that. That's not mine. That doesn't belong to me. I'd stolen. Mother, I gave yeah. you that for Christmas. No, you didn't. You yeah. want me to go to the who's cow? Yeah. She would say that really. You yeah. want me to go to the who's cow? I mean, most people don't even know that word. <laughs> It would be jail. Anyway. (laughs) The pokey. pokey. And I couldn't convince her. And I was like, wow. And then the most important lesson I learned in caregiving ever happened a couple of weeks later. We were talking. She said, I want to go see my sister in Smithville. And that would be a logical question. Yeah. Except for the fact, of course, that her sister had been dead for eight years. yeah. Yeah. Me being a new caregiver... And not very smart, I said. Well, Mama, we can't go see Estelle. She's in heaven. Well, that was the yeah. wrong um, thing. What, what would be to the say. right thing, though? Oh, Mama, let's go next week. Mm-hmm. Oh, she would forget it. Mm-hmm. So she started crying. I mean, as if she'd never heard the that's, news before. That's a really it good- was brand new news to mm-hmm. her. She cried for fifteen minutes. Shoulders up, to tears come, and I'm watching her crying. I'm going, Oh my God! Look what I did. Mm-hmm. And it's
0: basically like she she thought she'd she never learned. heard
1: the news before. but I yeah. want to go back to the right answer. The right answer would and this makes perfect sense. Hey all right sure let's I'll set it up for next Tuesday. Yes yeah, so and
2: then, and then she'd by be Tuesday, very she happy. doesn't she would have forgotten within 10 minutes.
0: It's kind of like dealing with a drunk. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> it's kind of but like that, dealing with a yeah, drunkard too. Yeah, probably not like that. When and they you know, say And there, oh.
2: are, there are people that would say don't lie to them, and I disagree okay. strongly. Yeah. I believe in I, lying. I, based on what you just said. Therapeutic. I think what did you call it? Therapeutic lying. Therapeutic lying. I, I, I do believe there's times for that. And that would be just, you know, there would be disagreement in the community. Uh, so the community. Wrong, but I,
1: and getting your mother to feel good is right, then you did the wrong thing for the right reason.
2: That's it. Yeah. I just I I so the big thing that came out of that That's was good. I was so distraught about causing her to cry that I made an appointment with this Alzheimer's expert who someone told me about for the next day. I got in right away to see her. And I, I said, you know, I don't think I can do this. And she looked at me and she said, Honey, from what I hear, you don't have much choice. <laughs> and I said, Well, what do I do? And then she gave me the best advice ever. She said, quit trying to drag your mother yeah. into your world. Oh. She can't go there anymore.
1: Man.
2: You must go into her world.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Go into her world. That's important. Well, I got it. I mean, I got it. In the moment she said it, I went, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. right. And I started doing it that day and I did it for fourteen years.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Even as she changed dramatically, yeah, and her condition got worse and worse and worse over the years. I didn't try to keep her where she was or had been. Yeah, I adjusted. you were on you
1: were on the trip.
2: I was on the trip with her, matching her. Even when it got to the day, I don't know how many years she'll her 14 years, maybe halfway through, seven or eight years in—I show up one day, she does not know who I am. Mm. So I think, well. That was the first time that happened? First time that had happened. And I thought, well, it's happened. So I said, hey, mama, I'm Jim Comer, your firstborn. Good to meet you. And I just shook her hand and oh, she smiled and warmed up to the stranger. And we just kept going. Hmm. I didn't know what else to do.
1: I, did, she, again, did, did she come in and out with that? Or did she still just not know who you were? Well, and it was like I, think you it,
2: again? I think it came in and out for a while. And then she just liked whoever I was. She's always very friendly and warm. And so she was. She liked being. D- having would she attention.
1: ever kind of do the thing where she would? Um, and I haven't have no experience with this. I've only heard about it. But would she do it where she would pretend to know who you were, even though she didn't? Oh, she did that really. I can I, at my father's funeral. She was just holding court, and I
2: know she did not know some of them. Oh mm-hmm. my god! But she liked the attention. Isn't that incredible? She was social. She, she didn't she forget that part of her being. Oh no, she kept the social <laughs> until till the very end. Wow. She, even when she couldn't That's talk. Cool. That's cool, though. Even when she couldn't talk in those last couple of years, her eyes and her face would light up. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And she was- We saw um, that nanny, too, you know. And she grandma. And grandma. Both of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Both, yeah.
2: Much loved by the staff. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And my my grandfathers, I didn't get to see because they kind of, they they really passed pretty quickly. Like, it was like they had been a little sick, they were with it, and then, boom, mm-hmm. dead.
2: Yeah, mine, you know. mine were- they were as i say 14 years and we had five years in um independent living and i gotta tell you i was getting pretty cocky i was thinking this is pretty easy i got this down now yeah i'm feeling good about this pro i was a pro i was doing great and it was christmas eve and i just bought my father a a new tv i was going to give him the next day at a big family gathering and that night christmas eve eve mother fell in her room on the way to the bathroom in the middle of the night. She tripped or whatever, broke her hip, God. and the world changed mm. yet again. It was mm-hmm. as if we were back to square one. She was mm. in the hospital being operated on on Christmas Eve. She was out of her mind with all the medications they gave her, you know. And she was just nuts for a couple of days. And then when she came out, they put her into... um kind of a rehab, but with her Alzheimer's, she couldn't function in rehab. She didn't know what was going on. And Medicare will only pay for it if you're making, you know, progress. And she couldn't make progress. Mm -hmm. A couple of days in, they said, Jim, she can't stay. You got to find a nursing home for her by tomorrow. Well, the Wesleyan also had a nursing home, but it was like packed. It was Christmas week and there was only one bed open and it was in a room for four people. And I thought, mm-hmm. my mother, going from the fourth floor with a view of the park to a first floor room by the by the dry, by the the parking lot with four people? But I didn't have any choice. I was just horrified. See, my ego got involved.
3: Mm.
2: But the main thing is I got her in. She didn't know that she was by the parking lot. She never mm. acknowledged the presence of the other people in the room. She was fine and being taken care of. I was the one. It mm-hmm. hurt you. It hurt you. Hurt me. And it took me a couple of months before I was really, got comfortable with that very different venue from independent living to skilled nursing with the noises and the, and the announcements and the buzzers and the smells and skilled nursing. And I got used to it. I began to get make friends with the staff and I got to yeah. know some of the other residents and their families. And I had to make the choice to become a part of that community because the only other choice would have been not to show up. Well, I was going to show up. So dad was still in independent living. Here's the kicker. Seven months later on July 4th, he fell in his room in the middle of the night and broke his hip. It's such a big Within common- seven months-
1: they were both in skilled nursing. But they, they didn't see anything of one another at that time? Oh, they, they
2: did. They did. Oh, and oh, during those seven months, oh, I'd bring him over to see her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. he, because he's aware. Obviously. Oh, yeah, he's aware. Oh, she she was still aware. I mean, yeah. she, but remember, she didn't remember very well, and he was deaf. So those meetings were a little iffy. <laughs> it's like a uh, Ceno <laughs> a little evil, iffy. No Gene Wilder. I mean, is, uh, almost Richard a comedy Park. act. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I bring him over. Who's on first? Yeah, <laughs> I bring him over and- I'm thinking, you know, mother's really liking living by herself for the first time in 60 years or whatever it was by then, almost 60. And I'm thinking, I think I'm going to put him, she's on A wing. I'm putting him on B wing. Big place. And so he was trying so hard to. Uh, so that they could be together.
1: but They could be together in the lobby. Space. Yeah. But <laughs> she,
2: I didn't take him to her wing because he would come and try to drag her back. So anyway, it's. It, uh, he tried really hard to do all the stuff where he could go back to independent living. He, you know, he was trying to get himself together, and he just couldn't. Mm-hmm. He was by, he was ninety-one, I think, at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he just couldn't get dressed and do the toiletry things that he needed to do. He just couldn't do it. And I had to be the one to tell him that he had to stay. Not
1: a happy
3: moment. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I said, we were, you know, it's just so strange when you know, the, the whole curious case of Benjamin Benjamin Button is it, it it's not it's apart from the physical thing with it. Uh it's not that far off. Like it seems seems like, you know, he
2: just went the other direction. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. seem
1: like we really age on a linear scale. We age in a circle kind of thing. I and mean, you in, you start here and then you end up back here kind mm-hmm. of thing, even though you just, you know, it's just, it's it's really a strange thing. But, it, you know, obviously you do that for 14 years and you do, you got this book out Well, of it. what
2: happened, you know, after about, I think this came in, so I arrived in 96. I began to think about this in the early 2000s. And my cousins in Georgetown, they were really big on thinking I should do this. And so I started writing about 2001, 2002, and I, I finished the first, I think I finished it in 2003. And then I self-published a couple of thousand copies and they sold out. I spoke around a lot of people. And that. So I sold 2,000 copies. And then naturally, I ordered another 2,000 copies just, I mean, within weeks or months after that, I had this trip out to Oregon to see a friend. And he took me to this art gallery where his friend ran. And his friend had a mother with Alzheimer's. Mm. So I came back the next day and brought the guy a copy of my book. And he really appreciated it and read it and liked it. And he sent it to his friend who worked for a publishing company back East.
3: Oh, okay. And she
2: liked it and gave it to the CEO of the publishing company. And he liked it and bought it. Okay. And I had gone through an agent the year before, a big agent in Dallas who tried 12 publishers to sell it, didn't. And by just just doing an act of kindness... It ended up with a publisher that bought it. And by that time, I did a better version. I added about 100 pages to the book.
1: Can I see it real quick? Yeah. You, is that- and I put a new cover. And uh, it, that is, I was wondering if that was you on the me. front. Yeah, that's me. That's me back in about
2: 90, late 90s, I guess.
1: And then there the, there you are as a kid also. That, right? Yeah, that was, I love that cover. That's a great picture. Those yep. are great pictures. That was so, me at Jim- my
2: grandmother's house over on West 38th Street. And um, me in, in Georgetown. When I still had brown hair, I got to tell you, being a caregiver and starting all over at 51 and getting sober
1: all at the same time will age you. Following his father's massive stroke and his mother's Alzheimer's diagnosis, Jim found himself an overnight parent at the age of 51. Though everyone looked to him as the man who knew all the answers, he soon realized he didn't even know the questions. Boy, that is the truth.
0: So were you, did you process it all? And write it after, or were you kind of making yeah, notes of it, of it while you were going no, through I it? No, I wasn't
2: making notes. Again, I wish I was a note. No, yeah. I wasn't doing the diary I, thing. Well, I, I started writing it. Um, let's see, I would say 2001 or 2002, in there, that would be that would have been after they were both in skill nursing. Okay, so we'd gone through a lot.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I'd learned a lot, mm-hmm. and more was still happening. And by the time this came out in two thousand six, the second version, a lot more had happened,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I was um, I, I, I realized by then that my story would be, could be, really hopeful and helpful to a lot of people yeah. because they're gonna they're gonna look at this and read it with and all the crazy stuff that happened, and they're gonna say if Jim Comer can get through this, anybody is not ready as Jim Comer then I can get through it. Well, it's that got, is what I want them to feel.
1: And it kind of goes even back to what we were talking about, about the will thing. Like in my mind, when that happened to you, even though it didn't happen to me firsthand, I watched what happened to you and I thought, probably need to get a will, probably a smart thing to do, probably should, blah, 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 blah. But if I had had someone just come to me and go, you need to get a will. Mm-hmm. And here's why. And that, 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 that all of a sudden goes, Well, geez, Jim's serious about it. What what what's the what gives, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what it what what you did there, I think, if the book reads as well as you speak it, then you're offering answers to things. And it says on the back that you found out you didn't even have the questions, but it seems to me that you're offering answers to somebody who could very well use them in a moment and, like in that. A, in a tone
2: that is not prescriptive preaching, or pre- preaching yeah. but saying here's what i did here's how i screwed up you don't have to do it here's that what way. happened
1: to me and here's yeah. what i learned in the end
2: and I, at the end of each chapter i've got these comers commandments let's see if i haven't read these in a long time this is <laughs> after preaching. chapter one starting over at 51. remember that parenting is a relentless calling there are no days off sick leave or vacation pay when you start to feel sorry for yourself put things in perspective you are not in north korea <laughs> oh, shoot. never forget that doctors are human hospitals make mistakes and nurses aides are underpaid if something seems wrong question it try not to tackle everything at once don't have a garage sale while a parent is in intensive care yeah. things like that people yeah. try to do everything at once yeah, so yeah. i just
1: you know you see the uh, Okay, now I want to shift top, and I know we, we're gonna we'll wrap it up. But I'll, this is a longer conversation because you got a lot to say. Yeah, I have and no
2: idea how much time has gone by. Has much time a, gone by?
1: You blinked in an hour and a half. <laughs> no, it's an hour and fifteen minutes. Oh my it's, goodness! It's not that. That's good though because you, you we're talking about important things, and we're talking about what's important to you more. That that's the big idea here. And sometimes you get somebody on; they get what they had to say out in forty-five minutes. Now you're getting it out in maybe an hour and a half. But what I wanted to go back to is the memoir.
2: Good. I'm glad you, I was just going to say that. So, so here, this time is gone. This is 2006. And I, and unfortunately this book of all of them, this is the one that did well.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I can see why
2: it did. Well, we sold about, I think it sold over close to 15,000 through the, um, through the uh, publisher. Mm-hmm. Plus the other one that sold a couple of thousand. And then I, I, Got my deal with the publisher was not some big advance, but I was able to buy copies for just 40% of the list price. Mm. So it meant I could sell it yeah. for full price at the back of the room when I spoke. Okay. So I sold oh, probably yeah. another two or $3,000 the back of the room, made some money there. Because let's just get real. You don't make money from selling books through bookstores. You get 40%. No, you get, excuse me, let's erase that. <laughs> you get 40 erase cents? Erase that. 40 cents? Yeah. This is a $20, $20 book. You the the author gets fifteen percent of the publisher's forty oh. percent, which means you get about a dollar ten a, On book, a book out of twenty. So you're not going to get rich, mm-hmm. yeah. If you sell fifteen thousand copies, which is a lot of copies for a book, that's yes. a lot. That's 15,000 15, people. That's got like you probably really? in the probably in the top point something percent. Uh,
1: less than 1%. Okay. Because also a really good don't thing sell. to know, you creative moonlighters. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just saying, like the people who would listen to this, those writers out there that are, you know, it's also good to know the reality of things too. And that's a very real stat.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what, if you're planning to make money as a writer, the chances of being hit by lightning are much better. Let's just know that. However, if you have something you want to say, Say it. Yeah. yeah. You're going to feel better about saying it. You're going to help some people. Who knows? And there is always a lightning strike. Yeah. You know, think John Grisham. But, you know, John Grisham and the other guy from North Carolina, what is that man's name?
1: Nicholas Sparks.
2: Nicholas Sparks and Stephen King. They are the real exceptions. Mm-hmm. So don't plan to be them, but plan to be you. And if you have something important to say, say it.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that that's the biggest um thing well honestly that's i feel like that's true of all the arts y- you know if if you're doing it and and this has been said a million times so it's it's ubiquitous at this point but for whatever reason we all fall into the trap and it actually kind of leads into my next question which is if you're doing it for the fame or the money then you're probably not going to get the fame or the money because you didn't do it for the right reasons the people who get the fame or the money they either got lucky or they got lucky and they had something to say. And I think the most of the ones that kind of ha- stand the test of time in any art form, they're the ones who had something to say. Oh, absolutely. They said it as honestly as they could. And they also had a little bit of luck. They were ready. Maybe they were ready when they, when, it, when the time they came. They
2: were out. in the right place. They knew the right people. And they had some luck. It yeah. takes, you know, it takes but so many things coming together. And, yeah.
1: and you know, I, I always think of... Uh, I don't know, it may have been some movie with Wilford Brimley, and and somebody said I haven't had any luck. He says, "Yeah, we'll get some." And, I like it, and it's and and sometimes there's a way to get some luck if you keep keep on and oh, keep yes. on and keep on. Eventually, maybe there's a way to to well, some lightning could strike. A little well, there bit is. A,
2: I will say this. I mean, don't get me wrong. Perseverance yes. and persistence mm-hmm. will make you more likely for the lightning strike mm-hmm. if you have talent.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: I mean, think of those, and you actors, get more talented and,
1: the more you do, probably. And
2: you know, from the actors, I mean, it. There's this n- gigantic number of people that want to be actors. It's the ones who really have talent, who really show up and stay and keep going at it, and
1: have some luck. And they, and they, yeah, and they have the gall to keep to 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 really go ahead and go for it. You right, know? you have to. I feel to like have that's that. the thing is, you a lot of times, and this is hard, but when you get put on the spot. The things you know you know, all of a sudden you're not sure about them anymore. Right. And it's that's a scary thing because it's like, oh, the pressure got to you. Don't just at some point, just be just know that you are what you are, for better or worse. And most of the time it's for worse, but sometimes it could be for the better. Right. And right. and so that's what I love about the idea that somebody has, all right, I wrote a book. All right, that one didn't do that well, but I got the balls to get up and go do write another one. And right. I'll right. Another one no, after ex- that. Exactly. So let's get to your memoir. So and, now, you okay. Say- here's the
2: memoir. So okay, this happened. It's 2006, and I've been speaking on this for a long time. And then a few years ago, so I spoke on this a lot from, say, 2005 to maybe 2015, ten years, all over the place, maybe 25 states. And all of a sudden, I've got this white hair, and I'm you know, thinking, God, do people want to hear me talk about this anymore? I'm not sure. So I started going back more towards speech coaching and that and aiming that. And yet, at the same time, I'm thinking, what do I want to talk about? And I thought, my, I've been saying for years that I was going to write a memoir, but I hadn't done anything about it. And my cousins in Georgetown, especially Bonnie, she kept pushing me. I mean, she would, every time I'd go, what are you starting and you your, I mean, this went on for years. You I need mean, that. At least five years, maybe longer, maybe eight or nine years. And I got so tired of it and I didn't have a good answer because I hadn't done anything. About a year and a half ago, I started giving her progress reports. <laughs> On a non-existent book. I swear to God. I was lying through my face. I gave her progress reports. I swear to you. And I then I took this landmark forum, which I had mixed feelings about. But, ooh, I hope that doesn't go out to the world. It probably did. Can you
1: and can it, you give me an example of one of the progress reports, like the exchange? Oh,
2: I would just say, you know, I... No, I... I I, no, I don't know what I said. It was just an errant lie. But I just was out I've got about 40 pages. Was that therapeutic, therapeutic
0: lying? Was
2: there wasn't, that, no, that was for just, you. No, that wasn't therapeutic lying. <laughs> that was just balls out lying.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, so I'm taking the oh. landmark
2: forum last year and they're big on honesty, which is good. And they say, where are you not being honest in your life? And I'm going,
1: uh, I've been telling her the
2: only place I'm being dishonest in my life is with Bonnie. You're telling me, I'm, I'm telling her, writing this ready? book, and I felt so badly about it that I literally called her from the conference the second day, told her the truth, told on myself, and said, "I am going to write the book," and I, I promise you, I'm writing the book. I mean, I mean it this time. And what did she say? She was good, she was cool with it. Did, did she know she you were I don't were, know if she yeah. did or not. That's what I was she might have, I don't know. I don't think she said that, but.
1: That'd be anyway. crazy if she went, I knew you didn't. You would have right. brought me pages.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, so that was in, when was that last year? And I made a vow that I would do 50,000 words by this past oh, June, Okay. and I did it. And I'm now at 111,000. But I'm only up to 23.
1: Wait, wait. Okay. You I'm, did
2: 20, 50. I'm zero to 23. Oh, and wow. So I've done 111,000 so words.
0: Give me a give us reference. So this book is how many words?
2: I don't know. It's 300 how- pages. But I mean, I'm already probably close to this. Okay. But okay. these are first draft words. Sure, 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 sure. And about 80% of them won't make the cut.
0: Okay. I
2: don't know okay. how many will make the cut. I've just begun. I was thinking, just get it all down. Yeah. You know, get it all down and then go back in the second draft, cut, 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 edit, polish. Yeah. However, the last couple of weeks I've started, you know, I was doing like 1,500 words a time in, yeah. a, in a couple of hours pretty fast. So this last few weeks I've I've cut the number of words down and I'm being a little more careful as I'm writing. So I'm trying to be a little, doing a little more in- editing as I go just in the last couple of weeks. So, so I don't know I'm how that's gonna work. I'm curious
0: about why why are you even concerned with the number of words? Like wh- I don't when know. you're gauging writing. Oh, you I don't said know why 50, that's just a way of words.
2: me making feel that oh, makes me okay. feel better that I make I'm making progress. Okay, it's a psychological thing.
0: Because okay. I mean,
2: this is the words. I mean, right now I've got a um, hundred and is it hundred and fifty pages? But that's pages on a computer. Book pages. I'm probably over 200 now.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: How how do you decide what to cut? Well, I won't know until I go back.
1: But when you go back, what 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 is going to be repetition? uh, Oh, oh,
2: anything or or places where I've gone off on tangents or, you know. That don't really so it's not like you'll cut out
1: all any of the story stories, you'll cut out things where you repeated yourself, yeah, and that'll cut 80%. You think,
2: oh well, and just stuff that I don't think is that interesting, there's got to be a more of a through line, okay?
1: And just a but you get a natural, you're saying a natural feel for a second draft or a third draft, I
2: hope so. I'm already thinking it's not one book but two. I think it's going to be the first half is the, the desire to be rich and famous. You know, be somebody, achieve oh, something. T- that was a big deal for me. Ugh. And you know, it was all because of insecurity and inferiority and all those things, the typical things that happen. And I mean, i would I mean, what's so hard about writing the memoir is I'm r- looking at my life and I'm feeling, oh my God, you made so many
0: stupid mistakes. but that I, I mean I mean I mean really
2: well- dumb mistakes. And some sadness. There's some real. Sad- I feel sorry for this poor gay guy who came out in the 50s and 60s and and didn't have anybody to talk to. Yeah, yeah. was alone in the world and I, I thought I was the only one in the world. And it's that's yeah. painful. Yeah. Which and
1: it's odd and it's it's even odder to to find out that you're not even close to the only one. Oh,
2: well, of course, it took me till I was 20 two or three to find that out right and I, well, I, it was I I'm sad a di- for that kid
1: different time different I know but you know. It, it's still sad mm-hmm. yeah it, it's no no doubt yeah yeah
2: when I saw Boys in the Band recently I, on TV mm-hmm. uh, I, I knew those people
1: yeah mm-hmm.
2: some wow. of them wow yeah and um, I saw the play in New York in 68 in, in when I moved okay. there okay with the original cast and of course this is an excellent cast as well but you know that was that's been hard and that, that, that comes up a lot because it was an issue from the time I was about the sixth grade. I mean, I began to know something was off. Right. And boy, that was, there was that was tough. And, um,
0: and then just, you had that you guy, humor?
2: then at the same time, you had the guy who wanted to be the most popular person around. Mm-hmm. It wasn't quite, and then you had the guy that wanted to achieve but didn't have the, di- you know, you had all these different guys going on at the same time, and I'm going, oh, if we could have just put
1: it all together, you know. Yeah, well, I want to go back to something then, I and I and it was really at the first three minutes or thirty seconds, maybe even of what we were saying is is and and I and I really meant this, like when you, that feeling obviously did come over you of I feel like I should be more famous to be writing a memoir. What, what, where does that, that obviously stems from what you're talking about, but, but also what, what, what allows you to push past that? Cause I think a lot of creative people have that problem. I know I've had it. I was well, like, what do, what, who am I? I got shit. Real to easy,
2: what me? I told Bonnie I'd do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you have so no choice com- now. I have no C- choice. Commit to someone you love,
2: commit. Oh, tell them you know, out
1: loud, and then you,
2: then you got to hold you accountable. You know, it's funny. I, as we go back to the roommate book, the way that I actually got the roommate book written was I, I had a friend from college, Libby, who's still a good friend, and she'd moved up to New York to go to Pratt. And she was poor and I was poor, but i invited her for lunch at a cheap restaurant. And I would read chapters, finished chapters of the roommate book to her over lunch.
0: That's and great. get her,
2: she had good common sense feedback, and she would give me feedback, and it was an accountability way to get the book written. Oh, that's great. So Libby really, Jeez, really you just helped me. The key right really there. helped <laughs> me get the book written because I I had that to have that huge- chapter done because we had an appointment at you know, noon on Friday or whatever. And I was going to read a chapter over lunch and it was incredibly helpful.
0: I love that.
1: You so just we unlocked have... a, a lock to a key that has the answer to another lock. And yeah. that is well, huge. I, I mean,
2: Accountability that, is really important. Uh, and I'm thinking, okay. I, you know, all right now I'm, I,
1: so you meant what you said
2: about Bonnie then. That, oh, that, I really meant yeah. what I said. I I'm doing this book. I mean, in a way, it's you're doing taking it for her. Forever. <laughs>
1: you're doing it for you, but in a way, you're also doing it for but her. She,
2: she may not love some, places, some <laughs> of the places we're going in here. Uh, anyway, the first thing is going to be about trying to be rich and famous. And that'll take me up to the time I left New York to go back to LA in 82. Yep. And so I was 37. So I'm at 22 now. So I got 22 to 37. And some really interesting times we're about to get to New York. Soon. Yeah. And those 15 years or 14 years are really. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the <laughs> second half of the book is L.A. for... Um, I had some real success in business in the 80s through a couple of really great clients as a speechwriter plus some other things that were going on that were not great and then some real disasters that happened in the 90s and then the caregiving and then, you know, on.
1: Well, I can't wait to read I it. Can't and and to I can't wait to... I'm going to read this one and I won't keep it long. Oh, no, that's we'll, okay. We'll but... read it and we'll get it back to you. But uh that is... I mean, I, I, it's, I wondered where that comment came from and now it makes sense. And, and it's, uh, but it, but I think it's a hugely important thing for people who want to be creative to know you don't get something to say when you're famous. You have to have something to say in order to get there, if that's your goal. And if that's your goal, maybe you're in it for the wrong reasons anyway, but even if it is your goal, you know, you hear the stories of people going, I just dreamed about this day I was going to win an Oscar, and I always just knew I would. And it's not that they're lying, but somewhere along the way, it was whatever it was they had to say that got them there. It had nothing to do with the, you know, fairy tale and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, and, and, I, and I've said for a while, or at least believed for a while, that the difference between somebody who's skilled and somebody who is an artist is having something to say. Absolutely. You know, so. uh, you know,
2: to me, the most important thing that I've done was not what I thought it would be. The most important thing in these years was the caregiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The showing up for my folks when they needed me for those 14 years <clears throat> was by far the best thing I've done.
0: And it was the thing, obviously, that, Got, was the most well received it was because sold, it was sold need, the it most was number of, of and it was, and it, was it was needed
2: yeah and and it was it's also well received when i do the speech because even this so funny this you know i said i'd moved away from it i hadn't done it and had done the speech in a couple of years and during the pandemic i get the call from two clients where mm-hmm. i'd spoken in person to their group one in baton rouge yeah one in upstate yeah. L- new york and of course, it's the, 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 the poor caregivers can't go into the, to, to the, yeah. to the independent living or the skilled nursing to see their people. They desperately needed some uplift. And so they called me, would you do your speech over Zoom? I'm going, really? <laughs> you think it'll work? And they said, well, we, we think it's funny and we think it's upbeat and we think they'll like it and they need to hear it. And yeah. I went, well, I'm not going to be able to see them. I'm not going to be able to hear the laughter.
1: Well,
0: yeah, you, think? Mess with, that'll mess you with think?
2: You think? And I thought I'm going to give it my full, you know. And I did the speech. I stood up and I had the thing and I got the lights and I got the nice microphone and I gave it all out. That's great. And it worked. Yeah. They tell me it worked in Baton Rouge. They even had me back to do another hour that I had to make up new stuff. And then it worked in in um, in Plattsburgh, New York. So now I'm actually marketing myself That's great. to do the speech. From my office at a much lower cost for the people. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I'll get a chance to give that speech around the country. We're, yeah. we're about to do a whole marketing thing on that. So
0: that is wonderful. We'll see.
2: That you is. never know that was a surprise.
0: That is wonderful. Well, um, we always round out every episode with uh, we call our top three. Okay. So it's as you top were, three
1: essentially top three things we got out of this episode of talking, right? Is right.
0: That, so I'm sure you noticed say, as right. you were talking that I was writing taking. I did, I didn't know what notes. you were writing.
2: Sometimes when I would say something mildly amusing, I noticed that you would write and I use the word mildly. Ha
0: <laughs> <laughs> ha so I um I am a big journaler, but I process things more so by writing them. And so I, I have more than three things for you, but I'm gonna try to boil it uh-oh, down uh-oh. to three and then um invite you and Matthew to respond and add to whatever thoughts, you know, after you hear my show. She's
1: our uh our our uh Facilitator. Sum- <laughs> That's the word. I was thinking. I was trying to think of that word. Right? It wasn't coming.
0: Okay. So the first one that stuck with me really early on um, was you said, good editors have a lot of questions. And oh, so yeah. I would great. say that I put a box around the word editors because I think that could be anything. Good, blank, have a lot of questions. And so uh, I think anytime you're trying to get to the root of something or you're trying to reflect or analyze something, you do it through questioning.
2: Certainly as a speechwriter
0: mm-hmm.
2: or a ghostwriter, because I've ghostwritten a couple of books, it is the most important quality I've got is asking good questions, drawing people out. Tell me more. What do you mean? I don't understand. Explain. I don't get it. Those are the most important questions I can say. Yeah. I because agree. if I don't get it, America will not get
0: it. Yeah, it forces uh it forces other people you know when you're writing something you it makes sense to you because you have all the background knowledge about something but for somebody else you go what? Right. I don't know what you meant. Um so that was my first one. Well, Matthew, I, I, did you have anything to contribute on?
1: Uh, yeah, I got all three of mine.
0: Oh, you didn't want to respond to a lot of questions.
1: Uh I I, I mean I think it's the hall. I mean, there's a reason why they call it so- Socratic Seminars. You try to teach people things by telling it to them and it doesn't work. You ask them questions and all of a sudden they learn something. And I feel like an editor of all places, you're talking to somebody who wrote a book. Now, I'm not saying your dad would qualify as this, but if you talk to any other writer or artist of any kind, their they're, they're creative digits are very sensitive. And so... Rather than telling them what they've done wrong, asking them questions that that force them to figure it out for themselves is that's super valuable. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: okay. Yeah. Um, The second one, gosh, where do I want to go with this one? Is uh, I really liked something you said at the end when it was consider repetition or tangents. So you were talking about editing your own right. memoir, or your book, or so again. I think about I watch Matthew struggle with writing scenes for uh, screenplays that he's writing, or writing a book, or writing a short story, whatever the case is, and, or editing a, a, sh- a vlog, right? And every time he's like, "Ah, oh, it's so long right now. Where do what should I what should I cut?" You know, and so I thought that was a good note to take consider where it's repetitive or consider where the through line isn't existent is isn't existing
1: yeah yeah right? find out what the through line is and cut the fat around that i guess kind of guess thing so.
2: when i was in la uh, in the mid 80s i took a comedy writing course from danny simon neil simon's brother
0: oh wow okay and they had
2: written together in the early days okay. danny was a really strong sketch writer tv writer okay And he is the one who was one of the two characters in The Odd Couple. That was Danny, who had left his... He and his wife had gotten divorced. His friend had it. They moved in together. And he realized that was funny. And Danny said he was going to write a play about it. And he wrote, oh, 10 or 12 pages. He's not a playwright. He doesn't have that long form in him. Neil knew that this was a funny idea. And it had been sitting in his drawer for all these years. And so he... Said to Danny, he said, if you'll let me write the play, I'll give you 10% of whatever we get. Oh, Forever. Wow. Well, Danny lived off that the rest of his life. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But in his class, he had Neil come in one time. And I'll, I, I don't remember anything else he said, except he was a nice man. He told us that the funniest scene ever in all of his many funny plays was one that, you know, the play was moving along a line. And this scene, while getting the most laughs he'd ever gotten, took it in the wrong direction. And they couldn't get back Mm -hmm. to where they needed to go Mm -hmm. to finish the play. Mm -hmm. And even though it was the funniest scene, he he had to cut the scene. He said it was one of the hardest things he'd ever done in his life, but it was a right thing to do.
1: Yeah, because he didn't want to have to change the whole, yeah. But he would have wrecked the play. He
2: wouldn't have had the same play. Yeah. yeah. But I I remember that. You have to sometimes just say, ah, I got to let it go. Yeah,
0: got to let it, uh, Matthew and I have a saying and we call it uh, leave it.
1: Actually, it was started as Leave It Bodie. Leave It Bodie because Ah.
0: Bodie is stuck on a ball, tennis ball. Or or a squirrel. Or a squirrel or whatever. She'll
1: see a squirrel and she, you know, she just can't wait. She's got to go after that squirrel. And Denise always goes, leave it Bodie, leave it, just leave it. And she, you know, she's fighting the whole way. And I was thinking one day we were walking and she said that about three or four times and I thought... That's really a good advice for life. Yeah. Uh-huh. Humans. Just what leave do we it. need to
2: leave?
0: Yeah. Leave so it. we just <laughs> say, we say it to each other when we're trying to make decisions. We just say, I love leave that. It. Leave That's it. great.
2: Be a good title for something. Yeah. It would. It's a great uh, title actually.
0: Which actually on a, on a tangent, I'll go there real quick and then we'll come back together. When you were sharing all of this, we have had this ongoing um, idea to write a book together. And, uh, we have, we are so opposite in every way, shape, and form. And so we thought it would be funny to write these different experiences that we've had from each of our perspectives but oh. put them side by side. Oh, I love so, that. You know, chapter one is from my perspective. It's and the same chapter story. One it's is the same repeated. day, the same
2: story. Oh, I think that's great. My version, her version. I like yeah, that.
0: And uh, and so there's a lot of little pieces that you shared in in writing your book that. I'm kind of filing away yeah, in my mind. This is
1: all your idea, So to, I'm hoping you're getting that together. I'll I am. Ho- I'm glad. I am.
0: Okay. So going back, not going too far on the birdwalk and staying with the through line. Then the last thing that that um, stuck with me is you said perseverance and hard work uh, lead to luck. Maybe you didn't say it in exactly those terms, but that's what I They give you a
2: better shot yeah. yeah. at luck. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I totally because agree. Because if you're not there, you're not going to have the luck. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yep and that that always sticks with me because um i don't know how much i believe in full luck you know i think i think
1: it has happened to somebody just not to most people yeah it's I, not, I think luck, uh, true true luck is really not that relatable because it's it just you know it doesn't just fall out of the sky for most people yeah how many there's something like how that. many
0: lotto winners are there really not many. you know and <laughs> So to me, I- Not I, many. Yeah, this perseverance, hard work, resilience, that idea sticks with me. It really resonates with me because I think that is how you write a stack of books like yeah. you do. You yeah. Know?
1: And I, you know, I was listening to an, an author of a, a book that I really um, liked and it was, it was called How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Mm-hmm. but he you know they were talking about ego and actually his book was sort of like had some, had some bit to do with where the ego kind of fits and you know one of those kind of books but um he he said you know ego's actually good ego's what got this book written mm-hmm. you know now what i do with it after that is a whole that's a whole different thing it can become bad but it, so so the idea that you were saying earlier about Fame and how important that is. I, you know, that obviously there's a big chunk of ego that plays into that. It's not all bad. It's just finding a way to harness the right parts of it and discard or leave the other parts behind. It seems like you know, and then you can get yourself in a position where you're you're ready. You're out there whenever the luck is being passed around, (laughs) wherever wherever it falls from the sky. At least if you're in this on the same street and you've got. And honestly, luck would probably be better to you than your average person when that strikes because you've written three books. Or well, you know, are you creating
0: your own luck? I mean, right. I think that's, that's right. my thought. It's- but
1: I mean, a person who's written multiple books obviously has something to say. And mm-hmm. so that to me, that would just, some, something that could fall lucky in that regard would fall luckier to you than to me or to you, you know, because you've been doing this a while. It's not like... And of course, life's not fair. There's going to be somebody who's twenty who gets their book sold before you, which this its like that's going to happen, right? Well, it's and there's just...
2: also just people with enormous talent. I'm yeah. just, I'm yeah. reading, then there's that. Then there's I'm that. I'm reading "The
1: Heart Is a Lonely
2: Hunter." Okay. Right now, and I, you know, I, I, I'm in awe of the writing. Yeah. She was 23. Yeah. 23. How she could have known. The human well, yeah. nature, that as well. she did
3: mm-hmm. at in 23. winning through
2: Carson McCullers, you know, living in a little medium sized Georgia town of Columbus, and boy, she saw it, yeah, and that she crazy? just saw
1: it. Well, and I guess that's that's also luck in a way, somehow, she was she's got it something that we don't all have, you know, and that's also luck in a way. It's not,
2: yeah, she had an emotional tuning
1: fork. yeah, yeah. that's a great way to put it, and 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 but. So I guess if we can control it, which we can't, but if the only thing we can control is do the work and finish something,
2: right? I mean, I can't beat Carson McCullers. Not going to happen.
1: <laughs> but okay, I can no. damn sure right, But I can, I can <laughs> recognize so, her
2: her her work and be touched by it. Yeah, and sitting in there, you know, I I picked it up in a Starbucks, not Starbucks, and you know a, a uh, Barnes and Noble, which I sit in the Starbucks in the Bartons and Noble and often read books, which is, I'm sure, illegal. I'm so sorry to say that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <and> I, <laughs> I've gone through a number. Anyway, I'm reading this book and I'm so swept away by the beginning, the first 15 or 20 pages, I say, I'm going to buy this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that as far as you've got? That gotten? is what Oh it no, takes. I've got it. I'm at 100 pages in now. Okay. It takes about 15, oh, no, oh, 20 pages. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. wonderful. It's touching.
1: Yeah, yeah. That. I mean that. All right. So I've got three. All right. I'll go simplest to most complex. <laughs> Number one, get a will. Oh yes, I did thing write to that do. too. Get a will. Really important. And if you ever like had that feeling in your heart that you need to eh, probably no go get a will. Um, All right, that's number one. Number two, getting something to say, like we were saying earlier about, you know, how important it is if you want to go down the route of the creative arts, you got to have something to say, but getting something to say, where does that come from? And you said something important, basically the book that has done the best for you came from when you did something you had to do, not something you something set up. hard. Yeah, that something I had to hard. do,
2: not something I wanted to do. Don't get me wrong; I did not want to do right. this, but I had to do this. Mm-hmm. I needed to do this. I had to mm-hmm. say yes to it. Mm-hmm. I had to show up.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I just had to show up. Yeah, and there was never any question in my mind that I would show up. And I guess I had observed my parents being such wonderful caregivers for for their. Their relatives, from my, my from my grandmother. So they taught you by action. Also. Oh yeah, absolutely. My my parents were so wonderful to my grandmothers and to several old maid aunts. we called my mother called them unclaimed treasures. Mm, <laughs> they were very unclaimed. good to these unclaimed treasures. Better write that one down. And um, isn't that a great line? Yes. And so I watched them do that for thirty years. They did it from the early sixties until the late eighties, right about the time. I mean, I think the last one passed away about a year or two before mother began showing signs. And I, I I've always felt that those six hundred mile round trips from Dallas to Bastrop, Smithville, were wearing on my mother. I don't may not have had any effect on it or not. I don't know. But I mean, I know, I know they took it out of her. Yeah. But she would have not had it any other way. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, well, I so. So that, in my mind, you didn't choose it. You didn't want it. But the gift you got from it was something you couldn't have even imagined. And plus, you got something to say.
2: Right. (laughs) I did have something to say.
1: And so number three, uh, and I'm just going to state it this way, and I'll have to maybe explain But fame doesn't offer general wisdom, but general wisdom might lead to fame. So in other words... Um, you don't have to wait to write your memoir until you're famous. Although whatever you know and whatever wisdom you have now might be enough to write down and also, by sheer luck, lead to some kind of fame. Right. Um. And and I, and I think again, it's it ties off of that having something to say. Somebody that's got as much as you have to say, you have to write the memoir. You don't have a choice. Not just because Bonnie said so. No. You I, have to. I, I hope to, I hope I have something to say. I I'm, You do. It's we'll, clear. Find, it. we'll find out. We but, just talked but, for an hour forty-eight. I imagine we could oh, go really a lot Gosh, longer.
2: I'm so because as I was looking at your thing, I looked at your uh, previous uh podcast. You and just I said thought, the record. I thought forty-eight minutes oh my god you <laughs> hope i can fill 48 minutes no you said really, <laughs> maybe i can
0: oh gosh i hope oh please let me don't i hope i won't embarrass myself <laughs> well you did a fabulous yeah. job and this was so much fun jim having oh good you. i mean i want to read through the whole stack of books now
1: yeah and, and we'll be careful with the top one there because i know it's your only one man that's really like if there's some way for you to get the the rights back well you all not read it and tell me it if, you,
2: if it's fine i don't I haven't read it in Years and years and years. Okay. I hope it's funny. Well, right. we
0: will. And uh, I think you've inspired us to get our tails moving and try to start writing the book also that we. Oh, I been, love that
2: idea yeah. that you uh, just tell me. I think that's a great idea. So
0: we might send a couple chapters to you once oh, we have yeah. them. Yes, and, yes. And I'd you love can, that. A good editor will have a lot of questions. A lot of so. questions. Oh, and
2: it's so much easier to edit somebody else <laughs> than to come up with the ideas. And to do your own. <laughs> It's sort of like being a good sponsor in AA. My sponsees <laughs> call me and I've got four of them and I am so intelligent. <laughs> when I, yeah, I mean, I, I hear myself saying things to these younger uh-huh. people and I'm going, aren't you smart, yeah. Jim? But then I try to take the same thing and play it to myself not so yeah. smart
0: not, not so easy well,
1: no there you go. So easy. A general wisdom thing you there know. you go it, yeah.
0: well thank you so much you're and you're welcome uh, that's a wrap for episode 26 that's a wrap 26. on episode
1: 26 all right thanks jim thanks jim thank you adios